Good morning, Flagler. The doctors are in. I'm Dr. Scott Cleos. And I'm Dr. Andrea Cleos. We are here once again to talk about your health and health issues right here in Flagler, Volusia, and St. John's County. I had a uh, gentleman at the gym. Uh, I walked in the other day, and he goes, it's my savior. And uh, I didn't know what it I, I met this guy a couple of times, and he was embellishing a little bit. But uh, about two months ago, uh, he was talking to me about some clinical symptoms he was having. And uh, he's in good shape. You look at the guy and you're like, oh, he's pretty, you know, he takes care of himself. And he was describing some substernal chest pain that he was having uh, when he was exerting himself, when he was running or doing something that was kind of aerobic. And uh, I said, well, that's a little concerning. I said, is there any family history of heart disease? He goes, yeah, my dad died of a heart attack when he was 50 or 51 or something. And my brother had a heart attack when he was 53. I said, is he still living? He goes, yeah, he's still living. I said, how old are you? He goes, 54. Ah, (laughs) I'm like, man, you need to go get checked. I go, because that's a little concerning. I mean, you know, you're right around the age of your brother and your dad, both of whom had heart attacks about your age. And uh, and if you, like I said, you look at this guy, you wouldn't know. Did he not think about that or did he just blew it off? You know, it's so hard when you're talking to patients about... Or people. Or right. people in general about, you know, what they perceive and what they... Uh, what they perceive with their own health and what they perceive and what they were told about their own health. Because I will get different stories. So man, I'll tell you about this gentleman. Uh, so I told him, I said, listen, you need to go get checked out. You go to the ED and um, they're probably going to do an EKG and all that other stuff. And if you come in and tell me you had sh- chest pain, they're going to do a nuclear medicine stress test. And that's where they just inject a radio tracer into your heart at rest. They do one at stress, and they can stress you either by putting you on a treadmill, uh, which is something called a Bruce protocol where they exercise you, or they can give you adenosine, which artificially kind of stresses you. And basically what it does is a chemical stress. Yeah, it's chemical stress where it dilates up your blood vessels. And the ones that can dilate up will, you know, deliver more of that tracer to portions of the heart. And the ones that can't dilate up, you get less tracer. So it's a relative thing. And I said, they're going to do that. I said, and it's an okay test if you're basically asymptomatic. But if you're going in there with chest pain, don't let them tell you they're going to do a stress test. Uh, then they'll come back, get those results, say it's normal, and send you home because you sound clinically symptomatic to me. So, you know, and going through what we went through with my brother, well, I gave him the same advice when he called me from the ED. I said, you know, you, you need some kind of definitive examination, either a um, a catheterization, coronary catheterization, or a CTA where you're actually looking anatomically at the vessels. So, like I said, this is like three months ago. I just saw the guy a couple of weeks ago, and exactly what I told him was going to happen happened, according to him. And he went there, and they did the stress test. They told him it was okay. EKG looked pretty normal, and they were going to send him home, and he refused to go. He says, I'm not going home. He goes, I have a friend of mine from the gym, and he said, this is what you guys are going to do. <laughs> and he goes, uh, I, I don't want to leave here until I have some kind of test like a, an angiogram or, you know, a CTA. So they did the angiogram on him uh, after, and they, you know, they tried to kick him out of the ED. And Where was he at, Halifax Advent? He was mm-hmm. at Advent. That doesn't mm-hmm. matter. I'm sure the same thing goes on on both sides, but... Um, 
you know, but uh, they tried. So they did the cath a couple of days later. Two vessels, 85% stenosed, and uh, one vessel, 65%. He ended up with a triple bypass. He's showing me the scars in his forearm, and because uh, that's where they harvested the arteries from, I, best, I guess, to do the bypass. And, um, you know, I, I said. Did he feel better? Oh, pain yeah. Went? No, no. His pain's better now. And I said, well, I'm glad you kind of stood up for yourself. And, Again, another example, and I'm not saying go to the hospital and be obnoxious, but at the same time, you gotta represent you gotta yourself, represent yourself, or you have to have someone represent you, and and, and you got to know the science and what's expected right. because they can be sloppy. Well, and it's just you know we have more and more uh, physician extenders who are seeing you in the ED. They're not even doctors. They're uh, they're nurse practitioners. They're not to say that some of them aren't phenomenal. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're nurse but practitioners. Some of them aren't well trained. PAs, and I don't think they're using these physician extenders as intended. I mean, a physician extender was basically someone who was going to be the right arm of the physician. And but the physician would, you would make go the decision. In, but the decision would be the ultimate decision after that individual saw the patient. They would discuss this thoroughly with the attending radiologist or the physician, and they together would make a decision. And if the physician thought that they needed to um, uh, intervene and kind of get some more history, they'd go in. But I think that whole extender paradigm has basically evolved into a substitution, not an extender. And I see more and more patients who are being seen by not, they're not being seen by a physician, which is horrible. And uh, this is just a great example of what can happen if you don't, you know, defend yourself. And it's horrible that I have to say that with the American healthcare system, but it's it's absolutely true. It is deteriorating. And unfortunately, this is, you know, what the American public kind of asked for. I mean, when they were asking for um, socialized, socialized medicine. medicine. We tried to, the physician said, look, we know what socialized medicine is. We Sloppy. know what they do up in Canada. We know what they do over in, in England. And people would defend those programs vehemently, but this is exactly what you get. Okay. Because nobody cares anymore. You disincentivize the physicians and the nurses and everyone to work harder and actually be productive. And you get the uh, salaried individuals who get paid the same, whether they see five or 50 patients, I promise you it's going to be closer to the five, not the 50. Yeah. So, you know, to cover the volume of patients coming in, you just get more and more extenders, right? And so you don't even have doctors in there anymore. But I mean, he's doing okay. Or they I, burn, or they burn their staff out because they don't well, want. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Take money from even, the bottom line. We can't even to hire, affect their salaries. Yeah, we, I mean, it's just we're so anemic from a personnel standpoint in every department. I mean, we just don't have enough people, and and the people that are left. Like you said, Andrew, are getting burned out. They're not going to be able yeah. to sustain this. The and, ones you know, that did have one... a heart that stayed on, because most of them they fired that actually were going to get tenure because they didn't want to pay the tenure. So then you got a bunch of newbies in there that don't know anything and don't really know how systems should work or how diagnostic workups really should be. And they just follow along with whoever the oldest one is in the group that can guide them or has most administrative leadership type skills. And it doesn't mean that that person's well-educated. They just tell people what to do well. So in this case, uh, I wanted to make it very clear to the listener. So here is a man, 50 years old, whose family history, who had chest pain presentations, mid-sternal chest pain, did it radiate to the arms? 
I don't know. Uh, he just Did he have suspect. shortness of breath? I, I didn't you don't really know delve any. into it. So I mean, we I don't know anything, he was but doing pretty right. good. So we don't know anything, but he looks physically fit. He's middle aged. He's middle aged, and he has intermittent chest pain, especially when he works out. So we don't know if it's crescendo angina. So crescendo angina means that over time, the chest pain accelerates and becomes more and more intense and lasts longer. That is a big red flag for heart disease. If it radiates into the arm, to the back, to the jaw, also a big sign that it's a vascular problem. Um, Now, the interesting thing is a lot of people would do a stress test, work him up, and say, well, the stress test was negative. Go back to your doctor. If it continues to get worse, the thing, the reason why this gentleman pursued it and why the doctor should have pursued it is because every single male in his immediate family died or had a heart attack within his age range. That is a big, big factor. He's male. He's at an age where his family is and he's presenting and he's presenting with exercise. Big factor. So if you have family members that have coronary artery disease, at that particular age, or colorectal cancer, or prostate cancer, or breast cancer at certain age, and you find something, or you have symptoms of something, you need to be aggressive. Because the system may not be aggressive for you, but you need to be aggressive. And that's tough. Because um, sometimes you really, really need to be your advocate. And we, the more we can educate you, the more we can guide you, the more we can protect you from from really having detrimental outcomes from disease. But it really requires you to pay attention to what's happening because you've really got to be your own advocate. Well, that's exactly right. And I'm not saying, I don't want anyone to misconstrue my comments about the, uh, the, in, in, the inefficacy of the nuclear medicine stress test. It's, you know, it's an okay test. It's a screening test. But... The screening tests are taken into consideration uh, for the clinical presentation, right? When you do a screening test, you want to screen the at-risk population. They Years ago, they tried to say, oh, we're going to get screening x-rays on every individual. And they found out that that was not cost-effective. In fact, it was counterproductive because... You know, if no one, if someone didn't have any risk factors for lung disease, they didn't smoke, there were no family history, no uh, genetic abnormalities, the the cost of doing the screening um, was just uh, exorbitant, and you didn't really find that much disease to say that you prevented anything from happening. Now, if you take the population who'd smoked uh, fifty, you know, uh, fifty pack years of cigarettes and, uh, you know, they're sedentary and their mom died of, uh, of lung cancer and they've got multiple cancers in the family, that's a, that is a population you could screen, all right, because they've got risk factors. And it's the same. A lot of risk factors. A lot of risk factors. So it's the same with the nuclear medicine stress test. So if somebody comes in and they complain of some vague substernal chest pain and they say it hurts when they move their arm, probably not going to be vascular. All right. It's probably not going to be a coronary artery. And you can confirm that with the nuclear medicine stress test. And if that comes back negative, you can say, okay, well, my clinical suspicion was low and I can now confirm this with an objective test vis-a-vis the nuclear medicine stress test. 
But if someone comes in like our gentleman who has a strong family history and is clinically symptomatic, I would not believe that screening examination. And I'm going to explain to you why. Because the nuclear medicine stress test, like I told you before, it's all based on relative perfusion. So what they do is they inject this radio tracer into your vein. And that circulates through the body and it actually gets picked up by the heart muscle. It's an agent that gets picked up by the heart muscle. So they do that at rest, okay, when you're just sitting there. And they look at that and they see the distribution. And they see how much of this radio tracer is going to all the different parts of the heart. And if all your blood vessels are wide open, then the, the myocardium, the heart muscle, should get about the same amount of this radio tracer distributed to it in a couple of passes. And that will manifest as what we would call a normal resting uh, um, myocardial scan, right? So then they do a second test, and the second test, they give you a higher dose of the radiation agent uh, so that you can see over the stuff that they gave you the first time, right? So, you know, the more stuff they give you, because it's all relative. So, and at the same time, they stress your heart either either with this modified Bruce protocol where they stand you on a treadmill and they exercise you. And once you get to a certain heart rate, they inject you with the radio tracer or they stress you artificially with the adenosine and the adenosine will dilate up vessels that can dilate. So all the normal ones will dilate up. The ones that can't dilate up because they've got a tight stenosis won't. So what happens is you inject that radio tracer, it goes through the arteries and where the vessels are wide open, they'll get a big dose of that radio tracer to that distribution of the myocardium where the vessel's wide open. But if the vessel's really, really narrowed, it can only get a little bit of the radio tracer, right? So that manifests when we take a picture of that, you'll have much brighter activity in the normal sections of the heart and you'll have less activity in the portions of the heart that don't have a good blood supply. And we also, you know, document any clinical symptoms if the patient reproduces their chest pain, so on and so forth. So the problem you can see is if you've got disease in all three of your vessels, so let's say um, that your circumflex, your um, anterior, left anterior descending, and your uh, right coronary artery all are significantly diseased. By the nature of that test, it's going to look normal because you have balanced disease. So if all the vessels have an 85% stenosis in them, that scan's going to come up. I kind of like that guy. So that, that vessel, that scan is going to look normal, okay? So, you know, if you're basing, if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, that's a problem, especially in a guy who is clinically symptomatic with a strong family history, right? right? I don't even know why they would do that test well, in that situation. Well, it's interesting. When I was working with Gainesville um, way back in the time, um, and, and the VA in Gainesville, um, we would never, if somebody was symptomatic, they'd bring them straight to cath. And, and that's pretty yeah, much that what we do standard. now in Orlando. Um, we really just bring them to cath because, because of that very entity. If somebody has a strong enough history and a strong enough symptomatic pattern, 
What, why Especially you, if they have EKG changes. So right. if you're doing EKG and they've got like ST segment Did depression. He, he probably didn't know. He said he didn't I don't know. know. He didn't know. But I'm going to give you the rest of the story in a moment here. We're going to take a quick break. If you have any questions for myself or Dr. Andrea, you can email us at the doctors in D-O-C-T-O-R-I-S-I-N at WNZF.com. You're listening to the doctors in on WNZF News Radio 1550 AM, 94.9 FM. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Radiology Associates has been a trusted name in Volusia, Flagler, and St. Johns County for over 50 years. Radiology Associates is the first and only radiology provider to bring our neighbors of Flagler County 3 Tesla MRI, 64 slice CT, and time of flight PET CT in our Palm Coast Imaging and Town Center Imaging locations. This is our community. Our doctors live here and strive to provide only the best care to you, our neighbors. For more information about Radiology Associates, visit us online at radiologyassociatesimaging.com. We're back for you guys just joining us. We were talking about a buddy of mine from the gym um, who calls me his lifesaver, which I'm all for. It's uh, making me look good. So, you know, it gets my head all blown. <laughs> he was just very grateful for some advice I gave him. You know, he curbsided me in the gym. We get this all the time. Andrew and I both have, you know, friends of ours or acquaintances or people say, hey, I heard you're a doctor. And they ask us questions. And we're like on the radio here, happy to help. And uh, so bottom line, this guy went to the hospital with some substernal chest pain and ended up uh, with a uh, triple bypass surgery and uh, strong family history of cardiovascular disease and was very grateful for the advice I gave him. So, you know, I told him after you have an event like this, you've got to figure out what's going on right? Because obviously he's got a genetic predisposition and there's some things he could be doing in life that are contributing to his coronary artery disease, but some things may be a genetic component, right? Um, obviously he's got a strong family history with his dad and his brother, both experiencing heart attacks in their low fifties, his dad succumbing to the same. And I told him he needed to go get a couple of labs. Um, and, uh, basically do the, the particle count on his uh, HDL and LDL and do the lipoprotein little a, which we've talked about previously on this show, and the apoprotein B. And these are kind of, these kind of quantify the number of atherogenic particles in your body because just getting a cholesterol level uh, can be deceiving because your cholesterol level can actually be normal, but you can still have a bad genetic pro you can still have a bad profile because it's not the cholesterol itself is the problem it's the carrying molecule the carrier molecule that transports that cholesterol around our body and i can't emphasize that enough you know we've demonized cholesterol Cholesterol is a very important molecule in our body. It uh, helps with fatty metabolism. It's a structural component of every cell in our body. So cholesterol it's, it's is part not of the our hormone. It makes yeah, our it makes testosterone, a, a, estrogen, exactly progesterone. Right. If you cut it down, and our other hormones, adrenal glands, the cortisol. If you make your cholesterol too low, it actually can do detrimental effects to you at multiple levels. But you know, the other thing is, you can have a cholesterol that looks normal. You also can have a cholesterol that's high. And when you fractionate it and break it down, you actually are normal and don't need to do anything because exactly it's fine. Right. So, so it, works it goes both ways. both ways. Yeah. Hey, I was going to say that. It goes hey, both ways. We've been living together too long. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just, I think, Andrew and I, I have to do a second video on all of this. And Andrew and I have 
you know, talked about doing it. And I, I, we're just so busy. I haven't had time, but we're going to sit down and do that second part of that video on, on uh, fatty transport, cholesterol and all that. So hopefully you guys, if you see the video, you can understand what we're talking about a little bit better, but you know, just keep in mind, you know, that it's not all about the absolute numbers. And I've got a couple of buddies of mine and hopefully you guys are seeing physicians where this is their wheelhouse. You know, this is, they're all about the, the lipid profile, fatty metabolism, and, and just maximizing your health, either through diet, um, exercise, or a combination of the above, and really not into the medication unless it's absolutely necessary. And there are some conditions where you have to be on medication, for sure. But, uh, you know, you want to maximize um, all your, your potential before you go to the, um, before you actually go over and start taking a bunch of pills. So I was going to refer this guy to one of my buddies who, uh, this is his wheelhouse, his uh, name's Dr. Vance Wilson, he's down in, uh, in Daytona, and he and I have had many, many conversations about all this. Another one is D Dr. David Billmeyer, he's not taking patients anymore, but these are the guys that are my go-to men when I'm when I have a patient who's got some fat issues, you know, or lipid profile issues. And so I called I called Dr. Wilson up on the weekend. He just happened I just said I left him a note and I said, Can you give me a call? And uh, I said, uh, I got a guy I want to send to you and just kind of help him work through this process. Turns out he was already seeing one of his partners. So he had access to his chart. And he starts telling me how the guy's non-compliant. He hasn't really listened to anything <laughs> the cardiologist has been saying. So this is the disconnect, right? I mean, you know, this guy's telling me that his doctor's really not telling him anything. And then when I talked to the cardiologist that I was going to send him to, he goes, yeah, I'm looking at his chart. They try to do this, this, and this. He doesn't take his medication. He doesn't do this. So, you know, there's some culpability on his behalf, I would assume. Um, and well, some... it's kind of a touchy situation sometimes when you're trying to shift a patient around in a practice. I mean, personally, uh, you know, I'm okay if I have a patient that comes in who prefers to see one of my partners. I mean, it happens rarely, but, you know, I hit it off, you know, for whatever reason. I'm okay with it. But, you know, some of the guys don't like to intervene in that situation. But, uh, you know, bottom line, I'm still glad he did what he did, regardless of his past experience with his cardiologist, because what he told me is his cardio one of the cardiologists at the hospital is one I was going to send him home. So, you know, yeah. and again, you know, it's so funny to hear the patient tell their story and then you hear the story from a fellow physician who goes, oh yeah, we know this guy. This is <laughs> Well, let's, let's paint another picture. So okay. here you have a guy who is exercising. He's very fit for his age. He's very stream. He's cut. He feels in his mind. And I don't know what else he's doing. And he, he could be on steroids. He's that he, kind of good shape. Yeah. So, he, right. he, he, in his mind, he's very, very healthy. And so he doesn't realize, and the reason why you'd somebody, send somebody to a lipidologist who's a cardiologist who specializes in cholesterol, because there are these weird genetic anomalies where you have lipoprotein little a, and it doesn't matter how healthy he is and what he does, because it's a genetic defect. And, so, and there's not very often those cases, but they're there. And so sometimes patients get nervous because, and I deal with that because we try to take people off medications. We reverse disease. We help people through weight reduction, disease reversal. And I don't push my LDL cholesterols down to 30 or 20 because I don't think it's good for the brain. Uh, I mean, as long as you're less than 70, that's where we push it. But then again, if you happen to have one of these rare, very rare genetic diseases, 
sometimes they do push you lower than 70. And um, it, does it lead to compromise and, and Alzheimer's and dementia? It could, you know, there could be a risk of that. Well, you're going to pick your poison. So, yeah. you know, if you've already had bypass surgery, um, I mean, you're kind of saying, all right, well, what am I willing to risk here? Because if I don't take the medication, I'll probably be dead in a year from a heart attack. I could have a heart attack. Or right. I can take this medication and risk getting Alzheimer's 20, 30 years right. from now. So it's a tough decision. And, and that but fine we don't even know point, if that's true. Right. But, you know, they are but, associating but this with so some memory the, loss. The so. point is, is I do see in my practice, too, a lot of people who don't want to take medications and we think through it. So it's not just because Shield of Life promotes disease reversal and people getting off medication. Meds, there are times when I tell people, you need to take this. This is something you need. It's, and there's certain situations we, we, we can't go past, but we try to practice the healthiest form of medicine and reverse as much as we can to keep you safe. And, and then, then sometimes, you know, sometimes we just need to be on it. So a uh, very good point and very significant that people hear this because your doctors may be telling you things and they're not the demons just because they, and, and remember, I love it when people say, well, you know, doctors get paid for giving pills. Well, man, I'd have, you know, we'd all be freaking millionaires. I don't give any pills. We, we, doctors do not get an, an extra bonus for writing so many pills a year. We get nothing for writing prescriptions. Now, I will tell you, there or was a doing time. x-rays or doing CT right. scans or imaging. There, that is illegal in medicine. Nobody can get compensated for doing, that's a Stark law violation actually. Yeah. So nobody can, you get paid your salary and you're done. You, you don't get paid extra for ordering more studies or, you know, referring to your friend or ordering ex or, or ordering medications. So please understand that people just think we there, there's you, you don't get that. You don't. And I definitely don't get that a VA, but no, I can tell there, you my colleagues in the community. And don't there, either. there was a point in time where there was probably. Um, a little um, quid pro quo relationship between drug reps and doctors. and That was like in the 1970s the, and 80s. Yeah, even when we were in the 80s, 90s, we, well, we no, saw some it, of that early on. Uh, a little really bit. cut out. I mean, I remember the we days when we first started our training, it. these guys, they would go on junkets. They would send these doctors and their family. Scott's older to, than I am. Yeah, to trips to Hawaii, golfing trips, stuff like that. And that stopped. They can't do that anymore. Big Pharma was kind of shut down. And they would bribe these doctors doctors basically to use their product because, you know, basically they get paid more the more patient. But, you know, Big Pharma is also the one that pushed. They used to tell us that the uh, that pain was the sixth vital sign. You remember that BS? I mean, we were in training. It's like, if you're under treating pain, you're not treating the patient appropriately. So that's when all of this drug epidemic started. And that was Big Pharma pushing that stuff. And uh, they tried to convince us young doctors that we need to give these people more, uh, uh, you know, uh, hydroxy... Uh, Hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I mean, hydro... Uh, Hydroxycodone, hydrocodone. Hydrocodone, you know, hydromorphone. Morph yeah. I can't even remember the names of these Hydromorphine. things. Hydromorphone. Morphine. Hydromorphine. <laughs> I mean, all of these, you know, oxycodone, Percocet, all these things. They're like, oh, you know, you're under-treating the patient if you don't. So all these people were getting addicted. And then you develop. They were dying. And then you develop the pill mills. And that was a big thing down in Florida here. So when these guys figured out that they could basically get a kickback from writing these prescriptions, uh, but, you know, those people are all in jail right now. You can't do that stuff anymore. So Andrew is 100% right. I mean, it's not like people get paid to order a bunch of tests and do it. You can't really do that anymore because of the stark uh, uh, 
of the Stark legislation that prevent you from uh, getting a kickback for referrals and stuff like that. But, you know, having said that, I will tell you my personal gestalt on medicine is that the, the, the service that is provided has deteriorated dramatically. And I don't want to sound like the, you know, proverbial old, you know, fogey who thought it was much better and, and when I was a kid. But I, I really do think medicine has deteriorated. And I, every day I see patients come down who are so frustrated. They're in the hospital for days. They're saying nothing's happening. They got people asking them stupid questions all day long. I had a woman today, I did a kyphoplasty on her, and she said she has been on Percocet for 15 years because she's got chronic back pain. So they told her before last week that they had to wean her off of this medication before she could have surgery. <laughs> it's like, what? she's been on this stuff for 15 years. She's taken the same dose for 15 years. So the woman is like in agony right now. They haven't given her pain pill. They've been giving her like Tylenol for the last week. And she goes, Doc, I just want to get out of here. I'm like, I, I know. I'm going to do this kyphoplasty two hours after the glue sets up. We're going to, you know, the cement set, we're going to get you out of here. So, you know, but I just, this is the kind of stuff that goes on now. You know, they don't even care. They just say, well, we're taking well, you off your pain I, medication. I honestly think part of it is uneducation. I think uneducated. Well, I don't think I they don't, care. I, I, I disagree. I think they're not being educated appropriately. And I think as a result of it, they think they're doing what's right. And it's not. They're actually yeah. inducing harm. I mean, you know, you can see a patient and you can have some compassion and you can, I mean, you know, you can. Well, tell- back in the day, we would call down to radiology and say, hey, can you do a kyphoplasty when somebody's still taking Percocet? Well, yeah, we can do that. Okay. But now nobody talks to anybody because they're 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 over consumed with all the paperwork because we used to not have right. to do so much paperwork. I mean, to see one patient, you know, they give you thirty minutes to see a patient. You need twenty five minutes to fill the paperwork out. You only get five minutes with a patient. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of bureaucratic BS. It's just unreal. All right, but we could go on forever, yeah, but we got to wrap go this on. thing up. Uh, if you have any questions for myself or Dr. Andrea, you can email us at the doctors and doc. T-O-R-I-S-I-N at WNZF.com. Stay happy. Stay healthy. We'll see you next time. The doctors are out.